And yeah, I use that term holiday, but it's okay. I mean, I wish happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa. It doesn't matter to me. It's a time of year that a lot of people are getting together, doing things. And as long as people aren't too uptight and such, we can all enjoy it and have a good time. Some people get hung up on some of the dumbest of things at this time of year, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, lots of uh, stuff going on. So uh, there's a commenter there, Karina Mack, saying Merry Christmas and, and saying back at you. So uh, yes, use that comment scroll, guys. I like seeing you out there. Have some audience participation. Send questions my way, the guests way, or to each other. Have discussions. Just keep things civil. We don't always have to be at each other's throats. And yeah, I had an interesting thing greet me when I came into the office today. This came from Anthony, and he sent a, a beautiful Christmas card, which I really appreciate, and as well, a, a calendar with uh, the 2024 calendar of dogs pooping in beautiful places. Hey, the, you know, this, this uh, Anthony certainly knows what my taste in, in uh, humor is and uh, my liking of dogs, and uh, yeah, I don't tend to dwell on them pooping too terribly much, but uh, all the same, it is great seeing them on that calendar with the great background. So uh, that'll go up over my desk, Anthony, and thank you very much for sending it out my way. Good to see you there as well, Mr. Stanley. And of course, it looks like Mike from Freedom Honey's hanging around out there in Paradoxy. All right, let's get on to what I'm going to go on about today to start things off. Because, you know, we're always hearing about it in the news. We're all experiencing it and we all know about it. So let's look at some healthcare news. Healthcare, yes, the big overwhelming Canadian subject. And let's look at the news across Canada. We'll kind of go from west to east. Well, in BCE, cancer patients have been sent to the United States for treatment because the local facilities are overwhelmed. In Alberta, we've got patients languishing in hospital hallways as the capacity in those hospitals right now is reported to be at 150%. In Saskatchewan, patients are being sent to Alberta, ironically, for diagnostic surgery services and some surgeries because their public systems are overwhelmed. In Ontario, hospital emergency departments have been experiencing rotating closures because they have a lack of resources. In Quebec, Conventional hospitals are reported to be at 100% capacity, while the children's hospitals are at 150% capacity. Parents are being urged to seek home treatment for their sick kids. In Nova Scotia, the waitlist for finding a regular family doctor has grown to 150,000 people. I skipped some provinces and didn't go into every healthcare issue, but I think you get the picture. It's the same everywhere. The Fraser Institute recently released its annual report on healthcare waiting times, and the picture is bleak. The median wait time for treatment after having been referred to a specialist by a general practitioner in Canada is climbed to 27.7 weeks. And that's assuming the person managed to find a general practitioner in the first place. How many people are dying waiting to see a specialist right now? How many conditions end up becoming untreatable because people spent too much time waiting for diagnosis or treatment? Canada's healthcare system is failing in every jurisdiction and in every possible way across the country. I mean, there's modern facilities staffed by fantastic professionals in every province, but they just can't keep up with the demand. Waiting lists for every medical service imaginable. They're growing and people are dying while they're waiting for that care. We got opposition parties in every province trying to score political points by blaming the party in power, but they're missing the mark. It doesn't matter if it's NDP, UCP, PC, CAQ, in power, in government, in the province, the situation's the same everywhere. Every province has dramatically increased healthcare spending too, so we can't pretend we aren't spending enough. The federal government, love them or hate them, most of us hate them, they have been increasing healthcare transfers to the provinces. So again, it's not lack of money. Canada's one of the highest spending countries on earth when it comes to healthcare, but it's among the worst when it comes to providing access. So funding isn't the cure, 
and the different party isn't the cure. The problem has to lie with the system itself. This is the thing that Canadians just never want to admit. Canada's healthcare system is crap. It's hopelessly broken. And it's become politically taboo to point that out. And politicians are too terrified to take on the healthcare unions and bureaucrats. But it's beyond time they set aside their cowardly instincts and call out this system. Some premiers are trying to do what they can within the system, but it's going to inevitably fail. They're doing patchwork repairs on a blown engine that needs to be torn down and rebuilt. And Daniel Smith in Alberta has taken on the local bureaucracy and de decentralizing the administration of health care services. Her efforts will probably lead to some improvements and some better efficiency, but in the end, Canada's health act is going to overwhelm it, and the system's going to remain crap. In a monopoly, we're in a monopoly situation, government monopoly. And whether it's private or government, it doesn't matter. The consumer always loses. And citizens, whether you like the term or not, are consumers of health care. And they're forced by law to deal with only one provider. The only other nations that have legalized private health care that way are North Korea and Cuba. Speaks volumes, doesn't it? Canada's legislated health care monopoly makes it impossible for provinces to create real and lasting fixes to the system. Unions and bureaucrats fight every effort to make changes while the costs keep climbing and efficiency keeps dropping. The only way to change this intractable cycle is to scrap or at least seriously reform the Federal Health Act and bring some new options into healthcare. While Canadians constantly list healthcare as one of their top issues of concern, they've been trained to fear any changes to the system aside from injecting more funds. Unions, again, and activists decry any effort to improve the system as Americanization. And it's effective in frightening voters away from supporting change. I tell you, I'd rather have some change than die on a waiting list. Canadians need to be educated. They need to realize there are dozens of uni universal healthcare systems in the world, and most of them are functioning better than ours. Universal, you still get covered. Politicians need to immediately dismiss the two-dimensional argument that only Canada and the United States have systems in the world. Political leaders need to turn the discussion to European and Asian models that have universal coverage and are outperforming us. And guess what? Private healthcare provision is not a bad thing. And the world provides a plethora of evidence to back that up. Fear-mongering has dominated the narrative and allowed Canada to become so collectively stupid on the issue, citizens won't even glance at models that are proven to provide better care than the current system. Does it really matter how you're getting your care as long as you're getting the care? Things are sure to get worse with the healthcare system in Canada until the system itself is rebuilt. The only question is, how bad are things going to have to get before enough Canadians understand this? And yes, once enough Canadians understand it, Perhaps some enough of the politicians will start to act on it. That's what's got me going, guys. Again, we just keep running in circles on this healthcare thing. It's the system. It's the system. It's the system. Broken. No matter how much more you spend, doesn't matter how much more you tinker with it. If the system is broken, it's not going to work. All right. And just a quick greeting to Scott Campbell out there in Thunder Bay. It's good to see people coming in from uh, all over the country on these things. I really appreciate it. Let's me know you're out there. And I'm not just talking to myself like I typically do when I'm driving in the car or sometimes in the corner of the office. Let me talk to somebody else now. We'll check in and see what's happening in the news with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Lots going on as usual. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing well, Corey. I'm a little upset. You uh, you pinched the column of or the uh, calendar of dogs pooping. I was going to steal that from my going to steal that from my mom. <laughs> well, we can make arrangements uh, on, on what could happen. I mean, maybe we could divide the year half and half or something like that. Well, I know she always watches, so she'll be, sorry, Mom, I tried. I was going to try. Right on. Still going to try and get you some sugar, Mom, so don't uh, uh, don't panic too much. That's I mean, quite a commodity. Yeah, you can't find sugar anymore. It's uh, it's crazy or it's, uh, it's rationed. Yeah, bizarre times. That's uh, fodder for another rant on unions down the road.
Exactly. Yeah, a busy day again, uh, as you noted. Uh, we've got a just released Angus Reid poll showing uh, how the uh, the situation in Gaza is uh, is affecting Canadians. Obviously, we've seen a rise in uh, a huge rise in anti-Semitic uh, incidents. Uh, the, the Democracy Fund has decided they're going to take the Red Deer Catholic Regional School to court. Uh, they were the ones that dismissed uh, Trustee uh, Lagrange for her uh, daring to stand up for uh, for Canadian kids against uh, uh, gender uh, gender issues. Heritage Minister uh, has come out today and demanded that uh, the head of CBC, uh, uh, Catherine Tate, uh, release her decisions on whether or not uh, executives are going to get bonuses. Uh, this comes after uh, they, uh, they announced a layoff of hundreds of workers uh, earlier this month. Uh, speaking of polls, we've got one out by our friend uh, Mark Henry with Think HQ showing uh, Jody Gondek, the least popular mayor in, Canada, in Calgary history. And this poll released after she did uh, uh, her, uh, her trick with the menorah uh, lighting core that you've talked about and uh, uh, refused to uh, attend. You remember earlier this week, uh, the crazy Stefan Gilbo, Stephen Gilbo, the environment minister, announced that all Canadian cars would have to be uh, uh, electric by, I think it was 2030 to 2035. Uh, Pierre Polyev, in a radio interview this morning, said, uh, "No way. Once he becomes power, uh, once he becomes prime minister, uh, if the polls are correct, he'll be changing all that." We also have a uh, Scotia Bank economist saying all the recent immigration could be. Uh, problematic for keeping uh, inflation uh, uh, still sky high. Uh, and as you know, uh, it was 400,000 recent immigrants to, uh, to Canada in the, in the last quarter. Uh, we got our Dave Makachuk uh, talking about uh, robots and the, uh, the effect of uh, uh, drones and robots in, in warfare. And an uh, undercover drug operation by Calgary police has led to uh, uh, hundreds of charges, 212 charges against uh, 27 drug dealers on the uh, the Calgary uh, transit system so they're trying to do what they can to clean up that uh, clean that up but uh, uh, things aren't uh, as you know outside our uh, our building Corey there is the 7th street station and it's uh, not a good place to hang around especially after dark uh, so that's what we've got up at the moment uh, coming out we've got newly released uh, remarks by the head of Hamas uh, thanking Melanie Jolie for calling uh, for a ceasefire uh, in that uh, situation with Israel over there. So uh, the terrorists seem uh, quite happy with this, Corey. Well, I'm glad somebody is liking Melanie Jolie, aside from, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau. Uh, I guess somebody had to appreciate her efforts. Yeah, making friends and influencing people. That's, uh, that's our Minister Jolie. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks for the updates, Dave. I'll let you get back on or over there and uh, we'll talk to you after the show. Thanks, Corey. Hey, thanks. So yes, that is Dave Naylor. You see lots of stories. There always are. Uh, we've got constant stories coming out from a number of reporters, a number of columnists. This is where I make that plug, but it's an important one, guys. The reason we can stay independent, the reason we're doing this, the reason I'm doing this show is through subscribers. It's $9.99 a month, 100 bucks a year, guys well worth it. I mean, we never batted an eye when getting newspaper subscriptions in the past. Well, this is the same thing, only cheaper, and you don't have to get rid of all those newspapers afterwards. So check it out. Go to westernstandard.news slash membership. Take out a membership. If you have already, thank you very much. And hey, the holiday season, as I said, coming up, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the rest, 
you can do that for last minute shopping. This is one of those things you can get. You don't have to get it delivered. You don't have to go to a store to get it. Buy a membership for someone else. Buy a membership for your uncle who can't stand conservatives or buy one for your aunt who does like them. I mean, you can use a subscription as a gift. Give the gift of information and Corey Morgan's ranting right behind the, the paywall. What a, what a gift indeed. Things to keep in mind. But again, we appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. All right. Um, yeah, we got a few things going on here. So uh, the, the, the Scotiabank, uh, you know what? I, I, I'm going to move on since we're in the holiday mood and get that going. We did have a special guest, and I talked about that. It's not like our typical guest, not a political guest. Uh, though we'll have a little bit of a political chat with that guest. We had somebody come in who comes into the Western Standard offices every year, and he came by and gave us a, a special exclusive one-on-one -on -one here. Uh, let's uh, have a look at this. You know, at this time of year, seems like every radio show, every TV show, every talk thing, oh, we'll have Santa on. We'll have a nice, pretty, festive holiday show. We'll talk about who's been good. We'll talk about who gets gifts. We'll talk about sitting on each other's laps. Well, depends on which show. But this is the Corey Morgan Show, and this is the Western Standard. So we go a little differently around here. I have brought on a festive persona. Today we've got a treat. We've brought in from the hills of Germany. Krampus. Ah. Ah. You behave. Ah. You got your work cut off. Ah. For those who may be unfamiliar with this ah. creature, Krampus helps keep children in line. Where Santa is the carrot, Krampus has the sticks. And he's here to talk about some of the folks, whether they've earned uh, good treatment this year or ah. not. Uh, well, we'll start with me. Ah. Have I been good this year, Krampus? Or do I get beaten with sticks? <laughs> He's weighing this over carefully. Yes, there's the oh. other part. And plus, I could be hauled off to uh, ah. the netherworld by Krampus if I misbehave. <laughs> I've been good, mostly. Ah. Uh, yeah, you watch my shows? I see all this stuff you do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go through some of the people this year, Krampus. Huh? Who deserves a beating? Who deserves... Santa's treatment. Let's start with everybody's favorite, Justin Trudeau. Ah! You're saying that you'll be eating trust Justin with sticks this year? Yeah, yeah. He's had a hard year, Krampus. I mean, you know, you're just kind of piling on the poor guy. Ah, you heard Alberta. Yeah, true enough. He has heard Alberta ah! the rest of the country. Ah. Uh, you know, you got to wonder sometimes, though, Krampus, I mean, these are inside... How do you deal with masochists? I mean, we've heard Justin might like a little bit of abuse from, you know, uh, that sort of perspective, you know? I mean, a lot of people like a little slap and tickle, a little hair tug or whatnot. What do you do then? Convince his wife to leave him. Ah, well, you're <laughs> <laughs> you've pulled that off. This ah. Well, speaking of which, you know, are you going to be visiting Sophie this year? Ah, 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 ah. You know, it's the doctor's in the house. Ah, um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see, see. Yeah. bad, bad, bad. Well, I see there's going to be a lot of stick spankings this year. My favorite thing to do. <laughs> apparently. Uh -huh. You seem pretty uh, eager. Does anybody ever actually just escape your punishment? Has anybody ever been good enough for you yet? Ah. Me. <laughs> you. All right. I see. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know. It looks like you've taken a few sticks to the face yourself now and then, Krampus. 
Ah, Derek Fildebrandt's cane will do that to you. Yeah, Fildebrandt is he's a mad, nasty person with that cane. That's just uh, uh, Derek. Are you going to be visiting him this year? I mean, uh -huh, uh -huh. he's the the you know Germanic soul who was really sort of invited you into the quarters around here in the first place. Uh -huh. That's a bad idea. <laughs> I don't allow you to invite me anywhere. Wow. You gonna beat you with a stick? <laughs> well, let's see if you could take on his cane. I've got magic. Okay, well, let's go down. Bad magic. Magic. I don't trust you Germans. Oh. I'm you guys. <laughs> Premier Smith. Oh, God. Danielle, I mean, I, I, she, she's been pretty good. I mean, she's been standing up, uh, trying to make oh, things yeah. a little better in Alberta. Uh, Toss-up, you know, what, like maybe a light beating or a... Oh, I see a token beating. Yeah, we don't support tokenism around here. It's merit or nothing. Oh! Yeah. Oh! Ah! He's okay. He's okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay, uh, Taylor Swift. Oh, no, no, no. This is a lot of people would pay to watch. No, him. no. People pay everything for Taylor Smith. I mean, if you get that content on there. Well, I watch football, not Taylor Swift. Oh, well. Ah. Ah, the hell with the Chiefs anyways. Ah. So, I mean, that gets me thinking about things. I mean, you got to have resources. Santa has his North Pole spot. He has his little elves and everything. Do, do you have anybody helping you out up there wherever you stay during the off season? See, secretive. Uh, Elves, gremlins, gnomes. I mean, there's got to be some sort of affirmative action program, right? Evil. <laughs> evil. Well, I mean, if, if you're just punishing the bad, that's not an evil course of action, is it? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> there we go. Me good. You're good. Somewhat. Uh, uh, some days. <laughs> so, but you do have a long history. I mean, this mm. has been uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, you know, you, you've been uh, out there traumatizing uh, mm. uh, Germanic children and, and, and so on. But you, you work in partnership with Mr. Claus, so he doesn't have to be the bad guy. Ah, uh, I get the naughty list. Ah, yes. That's where it actually goes. Uh, so much fun. No lump of coal, but a uh, beating with Yeah. Stuff. I think you should have some elves, though. It's evil elves. Evil elves. Okay, I see. Do I? <laughs> I don't know. We can arrange for it. That's what I was talking about. I'm talking about a special for you, Krampus. You get us live footage of you punishing Taylor Swift. I tell you what, the viewership will be overwhelming. What about Derek Fildebrand? Well, a lot of people want to see that. Yeah. But I mean, he's not quite the arousing draw that Swift might be. Uh, yeah. You know, well. See, we monetize you, Krampus monetize you we can go further with this you can go places you don't have to crawl around the alleys anymore scared children you could have your own place with your own minions taking uh, care of this you get to fill the rent i give you money you give me money no oh <laughs> no <laughs> nothing but sticks i don't money i sticks <laughs> we are a low budget deity anyways aren't you well you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> everybody's gotta make a living it is tough uh, times these days inflation well, yeah, everything's gone up. I mean, your sticks look a little thinner this year. Ah, I had to sell some. Well, you burn some to keep warm, I guess. Ah, but then you yeah, gotta pay yeah, the carbon yeah. tax on those emissions. Ah, absolutely. They, they actually want to ban these. Well, you should talk to Stephen Gilbo. We'll be hitting his house this year. Yeah, 
Yep, been there twice already. Oh, okay. Is he inviting you back? Nope. Home? Okay. Well, I'm going anyways. All right on. Well, there's no stopping, Chris. Very bad. All Very right. bad. Well, I know you've got a busy schedule and a lot of people to punish. There always seems to be more of those. Ah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably let you get back and making your rounds. So yeah. people watch out for Krampus. This yeah. is going to be creeping around yeah. and traumatizing you. But thank you for joining us at the yeah. Western Standard Studio again this year, Krampus. And uh, I'll try and behave lest we see you again next year. You better. Okay, I'll do what Be I want. Be good. All right. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Krampus. Merry Christmas, guys. All right, that was a, a rare guest appearance on the show. As I said, every other show has Santa Claus and things like that. Uh, for those not familiar with it, though, uh, so we've had Krampus coming here, actually, to the Western Standard Christmas parties every year. We had some pictures go out. And uh, onto social media, and some people got really upset and said, why have you got some Satan going on in your, your Christmas uh, thing in the newsroom? Guys, it's Krampus. It's a German tradition. We're up in those, those, those uh, European countries out there where Krampus would come along, I guess, you know, rather than just uh, having uh, kids and worrying about a lump of coal, the, the mythology there would be Krampus would show up and beat the kids with the sticks, as you saw with, with Krampus there, if they weren't being good kids. And uh, if they were being really bad kids, Krampus had his sack and the kids would be stuffed into the sack and taken off to, to hell. So I guess he is a little demonic. So yeah, I tell you, I tell you, they got some scarier stuff going on in, in those European mountains for traditions out there for their children. But we just thought we'd do something different, bring them in for the holidays. Again, we don't want to drag guests down to the studio aside from Krampus during this time of year. People are all busy shopping, preparing, and hopefully having a good time. All right, let's kind of get back to the regular show format and some of the stuff uh, Dave was talking about. We'll get to some news here and things. So uh, yeah, Derek Holt, he's the vice president and head of capital markets economics at Scotiabank. So he's coming out. We're seeing more people coming out as the numbers are coming out. Reality, one of those things Canadians seem to hate so much. That's what I was talking about with the healthcare, with Canadians denying reality on how our system is and, and the state it's in. The other reality is we can't sustain our current immigration levels. We can't. The numbers are just there. They're stark. We are in serious trouble. We have high inflation. We have low productivity. We have a dropping GDP per capita. We have a massive housing crisis. And what were the liberals celebrating the other day? They are celebrating that we brought in a million people in the last year. In 2023, a million people. You know, Canada is built on immigrants and we rely on immigrants. I mean, we, we thrive on people from all over the world and we will continue to. It's fantastic. But it doesn't there's a difference between good immigration and uncontrolled immigration. If you don't have the resources to bring, you know, to have the immigrants settle in, who are we doing a favor to? The immigrants are having a terrible, tough time too. They got to find a place to rent. They got to find a job. They got to settle in. They're finding out that there's long, long healthcare waiting lineups for them as well. This is ridiculous. We've got to rein it in. Our housing starts in Canada. They're down something like 21%. So not only are we bringing a million people a year in, we're building fewer houses, despite all the announcements from Trudeau all the time, all the new subsidies, all the money he's throwing all over the place. We're actually building fewer houses. Housing starts in the United States are going up. Like, guys, we got to look to our numbers. People, you know, some of the people, well, we need the immigrants to build the housing. You know, yeah, okay, I don't know why she swallowed the fly. You know, you can start talking in circles and going into the chicken and egg and what goes on here. But I mean, in that case, we should be targeting people 
to fill the needs that we have most acutely. Are we bringing in predominantly carpenters, electricians, plumbers? I mean, there's fantastic uh, people in all those trades from all over the world who would love to Canada and set up, come to Canada and set up shop. What about the healthcare lineups? You know, and again, I know some, to some degree we're bringing in the professionals. Of course we are. But are we predominantly bringing in nurses, doctors, even, uh, you know, janitorial staff? Our, our, our healthcare systems are overwhelmed. If we target the immigration, yes, absolutely, we can all benefit from that. But we aren't. I mean, we're, we're just opened the floodgates. And again, the reason for it, and that's what gets most maddening, and that's what gets most frustrating, is it's the federal, incompetent, inept, overspending government under Justin Trudeau padding their numbers. You see, you, you notice one of the things they love, you know, uh, Jolie and Freeland and Justin Trudeau always says, look, we've got one of the highest GDPs, you know, for a country in, in uh, the G7 or GDP growth. And it's true, because when you pump a bunch of new immigrants into a country, the GDP goes up. But what he doesn't mention is the GDP per capita is dropping. It's getting lower and lower because you have more and more people and the pool of money and funds and resources isn't growing, or at least not fast enough to absorb that. So let's reset the clock. Let's start thinking a little harder here. I want to see, look, we aren't breeding fast enough to prosper as a nation without immigration. I'm not one of those people saying we should end all immigration or any of that crap. No, no, absolutely not. It's good for all of us as we bring people in. But we've got to do it with a plan. We've got to make sure we have the resources for the immigrants because everybody's suffering right now. Canadian students and foreign students alike, they're living in closets. They're spending every nickel they got just for accommodations right now. Kids don't even have a dream of owning a house anymore. The prices have gone so far out of reach. And again, the numbers are showing, but at least we're seeing some people. Professionals are finally saying the emperor has no clothes. When you see a vice president at Scotiabank, saying it in the open, hopefully that'll help that, that this house of cards crumble a little bit. This baloney start, you know, being cut into, guys. And yeah, you see the fear. The fear, Justin Trudeau, well, he's got a number of fears besides Krampus and whoever his wife's boyfriend might be. But it, it, it's, his fear is a recession, the R word. You see, if a recession hits, a recession comes in, this is, this, the immigration contracts. His support numbers are already in the toilet. I mean, they are kind of realizing that Canadians don't care about virtue signaling. They don't care about long discussions on gender identities or, uh, you know, global warming that much if they can't make the rent, if they can't pay for groceries. The economy, it's everything in the end. If you can't pay the bills, every other issue falls to the wayside. We go into recession, this already unpopular government is going to become extremely unpopular. So again, how do you avoid recession? You've got to keep the GDP growing. But he's, 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 he's causing, he's kicking the can down the road. He's making a small disaster into a bigger and a bigger and a bigger disaster. I mean, in some uh, Toronto and other areas, they're putting, again, new Canadians who are showing up and finding out there's no accommodation or they're staying in hotels. They're staying in, in emergency shelters. How is this doing anybody any good? Anywhere. It's ridiculous. But again, we're starting to see some senior people calling it out. And if we start seeing that, maybe, maybe some of the legacy media members will start calling it out too, those cowards. But uh, I won't count, you know, hold my breath on it. But it's a good sign and it's in the right direction. And I mean, this is a government out of control. So let's go on to the other thing that's been a, a big subject of late, you know, and that's okay. So the green Jesus, Stephen Gilbo, 
has announced his electric vehicle uh, mandates. And holy cow, you know. So essentially what he's going to do is make it illegal to sell a conventional vehicle uh, after 2035. Illegal. He's illegalizing the sale of cars because people are saying he wants to mandate 100% sales of electric vehicles. Yeah, that's part of it in a sense. But what you've got to look at is the negative. Look at the other side. He's illegalizing selling new combustion engine vehicles. And it's ridiculous. And it's going to cost us a fortune. As Dave said, thankfully, hopefully, you know, one of the things is that even him announcing that, we know it's not going to achieve that target. We know they're not going to get there. It's going to disrupt the market. Auto manufacturers within Canada, they're going to cut the production of conventional vehicles. They know nobody can afford or wants the crappy electric vehicles but they're not going to lose more money by making more conventional ones if it's going to be illegal for them to sell them. They're going to change their plans. So that's going to have an immediate whiplash effect on our economy. And uh, at least with, with, with Polyev coming out saying, look, one of my first things to, I'm going to do is reverse it. So hopefully uh, some of these, these, these automotive companies will realize that this is temporary. If they can just hold off, hold off, uh, you know, after Prime Minister Hammerhead's finally knocked out of power, however that might happen, the, the laws will be returned to something closer to normal and uh, it won't have disrupted the automotive market too much. But let's look at how sensitive our supply chains are and how expensive it is with vehicles, which we rely on. We're a winter country with a low population density. I mean, we need cars to get around. We need them. And, uh, Look what happened during the pandemic when the supply chains got all messed up and there was what, the computer chips and things, and suddenly we ran out of used cars. The market for used cars went bananas. You couldn't buy a piece of junk for less than $10,000. And then again, that really, really pressured, particularly low-income Canadians. You know, you have to have a vehicle to get by. You have to have a vehicle to get to work. You have to have a vehicle to get your kids to school. We are not a dense European city, even though we've got a dense bunch of politicians who seem to think we are. We need vehicles to get around. That's how we're built. That's how our infrastructure is. It might change in the long run, but not in the short term. So this, this target of EVs. Meanwhile, in the States, Ford has said, you know what? We had $16 billion or $14 billion planned on spending to expand our electric vehicle production. We're putting it on hold because nobody's buying them. Yes, nobody wants them. And the states have been subsidizing them like all hell. So has Canada been subsidizing them like all hell. We can't subsidize enough to make these vehicles worth it to the common Canadian yet. So why are we shoving it down our throats? We can't do it. It's not reasonable. It's not feasible. At least Ford is backing off. Prime Minister Pinhead is pushing us ahead with his henchman Gilbo. And it's going to hurt a lot of people. And again, the ones they always pretend to care about the ones that they feel they're standing up for. Yes, middle and lower you know, income Canadians are going to be the ones who suffer the most. Because imagine, it, you know, as production and imports drop for new conventional vehicles, what the price of a used vehicle will go to. It's going to skyrocket again. It's going to go through the roof. Now, maybe some people say that's the plan, right? Drive more people out of personal vehicles anyways. I mean, that does follow with the World Economic Forum, true enough. They want us all riding buses and being completely dependent on the state to get around. But uh, <laughs> this is an agonizing way to do it. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I can give Justin Trudeau that much credit for having that much foresight. I mean, come on, the guy could barely tie his shoes. But all the same, he is obsessed. He's obsessed. He's, he, he thinks he's saving the bloody world somehow. And again, you do have to wonder who's on the inside, who is going to monetarily benefit 
by, you know, expanding the push of these vehicles that nobody wants to buy. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what's this C83 anymore? It says 70,000 is the base model. Uh, 200,000 for a Tesla truck is the price right now. And then Karina Mack, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but the commenters, and I appreciate that, guys. You know, people can't afford the ridiculous price of groceries, but we're going to go up by $70,000 uh, electric vehicles. Yes, we can't do it. We can't do it. And in the cold weather, they don't work with a crap. Uh, Edmonton's discovering that certainly the, the hard way, hasn't it? They bought a bunch of electric buses, 60 million bucks they spent on that, and the whole fleet's pretty much gone into storage after a couple of years because they don't work in winter. And the company that made them went broke, and uh, they can't even get spare parts. God, I don't know. You know, <laughs> either way, that, that's where we're moving with that right now. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, uh, private sector. There's a, uh, this is an interesting article. It says, is raise Canadians' expectations of faster, better services, the Department of Employment report. Uh, managers said the private sector evolved rapidly through ever-advancing technologies while the department struggles with month-long backlogs for benefits like CPP checks. So there's people realizing that government services are terrible. People realizing that the government is terribly inefficient. But rather than saying, what are they doing right and how can we embrace it? It's more like they're just kind of complaining, saying the private market's just moving too darn fast. Well, no, why don't you learn how to move faster? These are bureaucracies, though. They're bloated. They're, 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 they, they, they thrive on inefficiency. They thrive on people making a lot of money to take this piece of paper and stamp it and hand it to that person over there to stamp it and then hand it back and stamp it again. People don't understand bureaucrats. And this is part of why our productivity, if you want to talk another number, not just GDP per capita, but Canadian productivity is terrible. And that's because our civil service is massive. Remember, civil servants are parasites. And I know they get upset from hearing me say this, but it's true. And most of them are useless. We could probably cut half of them out of there and find out that they really weren't doing a hell of a lot in the first place. And that's the nature of bureaucracies. These guys don't even know that. They think their job is important. I had an eye-opening trip to the Soviet Union way back at the uh, end of the 80s. I've talked about it before. One of the things that was very interesting, they kept talking, you've got to go to this GUM department store in Moscow. It's this huge department store. It's incredible and, and, and beautiful, and you've got to check it out. So part of the tour, we went through there. And the building was amazing. It was huge in Moscow. All these skylights and windows and all these storefronts, and you go walking in. Now, there's a couple of problems, though. I'm not going to talk so much about the lack of stock, but that was one of the huge problems. There weren't many products to be had. So, uh, you know, that's a whole bigger issue of communism in general. But so yeah, there was some stuff I wanted to buy. And the way it worked there is you'd stand in a big long lineup and get to the front and everything's behind the counter. So you finally get there to the front and you tell the person what you want to buy from behind the counter there. So, okay. And then they give you a little piece of paper and you go into this other giant lineup. And you wait for 10, 15 minutes there. You get to the front of that, you give them the piece of paper, then you pay them. They give you another piece of paper. Then you go all the way back to the first lineup and wait through that all the way again. And you get to the front, you give them that piece of paper, and then they reach back and grab the item that you wanted and hand it to you and you leave with it. That's bureaucracy, folks. That's what happens with an oversized government trying to manage something. This is what happens when the government thinks it can fix unemployment. The other thing you used to see around there, the, the metros. I mean, it was amazing. You know, most people smoked in the 80s, but I mean, in Russia, it was something else back in the 80s. I mean, it was like 90% of the people smoked. And uh, 
you'd go into the metro and spotless, spotless, not a cigarette butt to be seen, not a bit of dust. But what was it? They literally had women, you know, older women, babushkas, walking around with brooms, sweeping every little street corner and things downstairs. I mean, it's fine. It did make for clean streets, but inefficient. It was terrible. Working for the sake of working. Again, passing, you know, dig a hole, fill it in again sort of mentality. We've got that going on in our bureaucracy. One of the interesting things is, uh, uh, for example, I mean, a huge company, look at Twitter, now X, that uh, Elon Musk, um, you know, took over. And he, how many did he cut out of there? More than 50% of the staff, wasn't it? And it's still functioning. I didn't see a big problem. They had some hiccups, but not much with the service. I mean, a lot of those guys were dedicated to just censorship and other crap, and they didn't need them. And other ones, honestly, probably just weren't doing a heck of a lot. That's what happens when something grows too fast as well, whether it's in the private market or in a bureaucracy. If they grow too fast, they hire too fast, there's too many staff, come on. You find there's a whole bunch there that actually don't need to be there. Any efficient company that cuts even more than 10% of its staff is going to have a really hard time keeping up and keeping efficient. I ended up running a restaurant. If I cut 10% of my staff, I was going to be in some serious trouble. But bureaucracies, they can do it. When Ralph Klein was Premier of Alberta and he cut the civil service by 10, 20% in Alberta, you know how much worse service got? It didn't. In fact, I think in some ways it got better because then when they realized the axe is over their head, the real world is encroaching upon them, these pointy-headed bureaucrats suddenly realized, I had better start looking like the most productive one in the office because uh, I might not be here much longer if I keep it up. But that really reality doesn't come in everywhere. So let's talk about the state broadcaster, one of my favorite Canadian parasites as well. Uh, Dave mentioned them. So, you know, they're taking billions from us in tax dollars, they're just pumping it in there uh, to run terribly biased, crappy news and crappy programming. And then, yeah, the, the CEO, Tate, who barely ever shows up in Canada, lives in uh, New York for the most part, uh, is defending, they're giving executive bonus. Now, CBC laid off hundreds of workers too. They laid off hundreds of them. But then they're giving bonuses to those who are remaining on the executive level. Yeah, see, again, that's where bureaucracies work, right? And that's, that's where unionization works, and that's where socialism works, is there's that top tier. It's a different form of classism. They convince themselves and try to convince others that it's something otherwise, but it's not the truth. What it is, is elitism in a different way. The top Politburo people, the top bureaucrats now, are the rulers who were there. And that's what happened in the Soviet Union as well. I mean, when I was in Moscow, you'd see all the Ladas broken down and burning oil and stinking these beat up cars and everything all over the place. But then, then you got near the Kremlin and you'd see them BMWs and the Mercedes, nice ones. Well, that was the top bureaucrats. For a country where everybody's communist and supposedly equal, some were driving luxury cars and living in uh, nice dachas uh, out of the city, and others were driving Ladas, the commoners. So, CBC is similar, right? And there we see the, 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 the headline. Yeah, Heritage Minister tells CBC to justify the executive bonuses because here you are laying off 400 people just before Christmas. And meanwhile, you're giving yourselves massive bonuses. And are you giving yourselves bonuses for good uh, work? No. So re add revenue because not just, um, uh, you know, does the CBC take money from your pocket with government funding? They take it from the private market with ad revenue. Well, their revenue fell. It went from 95.7 million to 80 million. It's gone into the toilet. People don't even want to buy ads with them. But the reason they won't want to buy ads with them is because nobody's watching it. We're just paying for it. And what are they doing when it comes to ad revenues collapsing? They're laying people off. They're getting rid of folks. They gave themselves bonuses. 
Brilliant. And meanwhile, your taxes get higher and higher and higher. It's a state broadcaster. They also realize, too, they don't need to lobby to advertisers. They don't need to lobby to Canadians to keep their high-paying, privileged jobs. They lobby to the politicians. They lobby to the more senior bureaucrats. This is a sick system. This is a country that is eating itself. This is the sort of stuff that uh, Ayn Rand wrote about in Atlas Shrugged. This is where it got to. And uh, it's, it's ugly. CBC is just a dinosaur. It should be long gone. Another thing that passed quickly, and now it's just waiting royal assent, is, is uh, Trudeau's, I wouldn't say long-awaited, but uh, gun legislation, his firearm legislation, where he's going to come after hunting rifles, he's going to come after conventional firearms, ones that aren't committing crimes. They're going after the low-hanging fruit of law-abiding citizens. That's what always happens. Oh, my God, there's mass shootings in the States. What should we do? Let's punish Canadian hunters. Let's punish collectors up here in Canada. Let's steal the property of Canadian citizens. That'll make it better. Toronto has a massive gang problem. Well, let's ban the legal ownership and transfer of handguns among the law-abiding citizens. That'll certainly fix it, won't it? No, it doesn't. In fact, it makes Canadians more vulnerable and the criminals laugh their heads off. The only thing that held up this bill this long, again, is, is that the government had no clue what firearms they were going after when they say assault style, you know, everything that's scary. Yes, they're all firearms. They're all scary. They can all hurt people if they're used irresponsibly. Some of the, the most uh, powerful ones can look like the most innocuous. And some of the ones that just have a lot of bells and whistles and plastic and crap around them are just for weekend wannabe pretend Rambos to run around and play with a fire. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But they aren't necessarily assault weapons, guys. One of the areas they really screwed up with, though, is they went after, there's a very common gun. They figure there's probably as many as 400,000 of them in Canada. It's the SKS. And it's, it's, it's a... It's a Chinese, Czech, uh, Russian sort of made uh, semi-automatic firearm from back in the 50s. They produced loads and loads of them. They sold them for decades. And uh, mostly because they're practical, they're semi-automatic, they're cheap. And, uh, you know, they, they work. They're simple and they're functional as a, as a semi-automatic. Well, they were going to get rid of those. They were going to ban those. But that's when they found out that loads and loads of those hundreds of thousands of SKSs in Canada are owned by First Nations people on the reserves, and they're using them to hunt. So how does Justin want to look when he's taking away the firearm that, the, 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 that these people are using to feed their families with? So suddenly they backed off, because there's one thing that always still gives a chill and uh, makes the buttholes of civil servants pucker up, is when it comes to possibly getting into a conflict with Canada's First Nations. They'll back off almost every time. But either way, the firearm legislation is now almost fully through, and we're not exactly sure how he's going to use it or what he's coming after. All I will say, folks, don't give them anything. Don't comply. Don't sell them anything. Hopefully this stuff's going to go by the wayside as well. Don't play their game. You can't. You can't. You can't undo that. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So, uh, yeah, don't register stuff, uh, guys. Don't volunteer it. They don't have your interest at heart. And, uh, yeah... Where else do we go? I mean, one of their bigger ones, too. It's not the firearms they're just after, but they're still, you know, even though the courts have said it's unconstitutional, here we go with the, the plastics, the plastic straws, plastic forks, those things that are now terrible uh, 
you know, contraband items in Canada, dangerous, going to kill all of the sea turtles in Alberta and the killer whales of Saskatchewan because you're using a reusable plastic bag to pick up dog poop or something. Well, Smith is going to, Premier Smith's going to take it to the federal court again and, and see if we can get that uh, further declared unconstitutional. But you see, this is where it's getting scary. This is where it's getting scary because we've had a couple of items now where the government's been found with their legislation is unconstitutional. Both times the federal government's basically said, oh, well, it sucks. We're still going ahead with it. If we can't have legal remedy through the courts, if the Constitution no longer applies to the government, you are not in a democracy anymore. If the government won't abide by the highest court in the land, this is why some countries have things like a Second Amendment, guys. Uh, just... Don't give up anything. That's scary when the government thinks it's above the Constitution. It's above the agreement that governs the land. So even if it sounds like something as petty as plastic straws, it's significant. It was constitutionally invalid to have that ban, and the government still hasn't lifted the friggin' ban. It's a government that does not want to abide by law. It's scary. I'll close with one other thing. Yeah, we're seeing they're really pushing as well. Uh, Kimberly Murray, the government's interlocator on unmarked graves uh, in residential, former residential school sites, really is pushing hard to make it illegal for people to be residential school deniers. There's a, there's a column in the Western Standard about that because it's kind of ridiculous. Who's denying the schools happened? We know the schools were there. We know there were some abuses. We know they weren't necessarily good places. They, and they, they certainly weren't a good idea that certainly didn't pay off in the long run. But we got a heck of a lot of valid questions about things like Kamloops, for example, that set off the whole firestorm. Still, not a single body has been found. Zero. Zip. Everybody screamed. In Calgary, they're bronzing 250 shoes in a sick parallel to a Holocaust memorial over in Europe where they actually have proof and evidence of the murder. And they're bronzing 250 pairs of children's shoes to make a display to represent the 215 children who were secretly murdered and buried in Kamloops, but they haven't found a single body yet, or evidence or proof. And now they want to illegalize being able to question that. Maybe there are 250 bodies there, 15 I should say, or 200. But there's only one way to find out, and you got to get a bloody shovel in there. It's been well, it's going to be coming up on three years. We've turned the world upside down. The Pope came over groveling and sniveling. And they still haven't moved an inch of dirt. Well, it's pretty lucrative to keep the secret, though, isn't it? So, yeah, again, and even if it's unconstitutional to illegalize the discussion of these things, if that's what it comes to, the government just ignores the Constitution anyways. We're in for some scary times. Either way, maybe 2024, we will see some positive things. We just got to keep trying keeping at it because giving up is a guaranteed formula for failure. So uh, stay stubborn. Have good Christmas, guys. Enjoy it. Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. If you celebrate nothing, just enjoy the days off. Have fun. Say hi to your family. Hug your dog. And uh, I will talk to you all in the new year. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you then. Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines.
helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.